tell you that this is actually home. You know, we have a history in this place. And um, many moons ago, when I was a I was a commercial fisherman, and so I used to bring the boat up here and and do survey. And and when I got saved and met this amazing woman, and um, and she told me about this dude called Tony Saxon, and there's a New Life Church in town. And so we used to come here at night, and they had this thing on a Sunday night, and it was called the Well. And it was awesome, eh? We used to just come in here, and, and there was just worship on, and then you could go off to the side for ministry. And, and um, you know, it was, and it was in that place where Tony Saxon pulled Fiona and I aside and said, God's moving you guys into leadership. There was more to it than that, but that was the basic message. Yeah. And so this was sort of a birthing place for us, a shifting place. And uh, Fiona felt, I've got a word for you this morning, so I'm just going to pass over to her. Cool. Right alongside of that, our personal connection to this place is our corporate connection to this place, because, of course, this is Richmond New Life's mothership. Okay? So we're back in the mothership. We're back in the, in the house, which is really cool. But as we were coming here this morning, we're driving through Richmond, and I was just thinking of all these churches. This area is phenomenal for how many churches. West Coast is known for pub on every corner, right? Well, it was. I reckon there's a church on every corner around here. This place is amazing. I'm thinking, okay, God, what's with that? Why have you highlighted churches to me? Buildings, little steeples, out in the country, but so many even in town, right? And he's talking about its, its legacy. It's something that is in this area, okay, that God is breathing on. Bring that together to uh, the way Māori used to uh, establish their territory or be able to um, uh, clear a dispute about territory. If gone, one tribe had gone on, on the walk for some kai or something and they come back and another tribe was in, well, they could have a dispute about that and they'd say, okay, well, how do you know this is your land, this is our land? And they would go and they would go to the spot where they had buried fire it was called Ahika, and there was a moss that they could light, and then they could bury that in the ground, and it would stay ready to be dug up and blown on, blown on, and poof, into flame it would come again. So the ancient God's been here before. The Ahika in the land is a spiritual fire that God has already buried in this land, and many people have already had lots of visions about uh, maps of New Zealand and fires everywhere, all over the place. Um, that's the ahika in the spirit, the legacy in the spirit of these in this area of the churches that have been planted, the churches that were built long, long ago, 150 years ago and more. Um, that is a spiritual ahika. And I said, okay, God, what's that got to do with the people in this house? And I got two words, disappointment and discouragement. If you're looking at what's happening now, and I think there may be some, and you're like, but that's not what it used to be. Where, where, what's happening? And feeling a sense of disappointment because maybe it's smaller than you want it to be or maybe God's not moving in the way he used to in your life or he's not moving the way you've, you've been dreaming of and praying for and hungering for for years and years and years and years and years and there's sometimes a disappointment can settle into your spirit. And a discouragement, I think this morning God wants to say, digging up the fires. Let the spirit blow where he will on the ahika. There is legacy in this building, in this area, and in this land from ancient years ago. Because God is outside of time. He was, he is, he is to come. And he will not allow his word to go without it being performed. So shake off your disappointment. We're happy to pray for you if you want that, but I think a really important part of this is for you to step into it. If you're feeling like this is you and you've been discouraged because you've looked around and you go, this is not what the church is supposed to be, whether it's this personal church or the church corporately, and you've been discouraged over time, shake it off. Actively shake that thing off. You take a step. You make a move. You say, no more. 
God, there is ahika in this land. There is ahika in this place. Would you breathe, Holy Spirit? Would you breathe on me? I repent of my discouragement. I repent of my disappointment. And I will walk forward expecting goodness, expecting God to move. Grab it. Amen. Amen. Woo. I don't know whether you can feel it, but this place is hot. The other thing that the Lord was showing me was, you know, in those, those years ago, they called this the well. And, and the well was a happening on a Sunday night. But the Lord has been telling me this morning and showing me a, a refreshing again that even though they called that, at that time, it was actually a prophetic utterance for what the Lord is calling you to be today. Right? That, that title, that, that well was what you're being called into right now, that you are going to be a well. You know, and so, so what is a, what's a well speak of? Well, in the natural, you know, it's a place where people come to get water. You know, and, and Isaiah says, he looked ahead at this time and he said, my people are, are parched for thirst, they're thirsting for water, and they're seeking for water where there is none. You know, they're seeking for water in the pubs. They're, they're seeking water in pee. They're looking for that... That, that thing and that, that thing that's missing, which is God. And they're looking for water where there is none, but God's provided you here. He sent you here because this is going to be a well. This is going to be a well. This place is going to be open 24-7, seven days a week. There's going to be healing ministries. There's going to be counseling ministries. There's going to be prophetic ministries. There's going to be all sorts of things happening here. It's not just going to be a, an hour on a Sunday. It's going to be full on. And each one of you has a ministry that you're to bring in the, into and out of this well. You know, say, well, I don't know whether I'm equipped, but you don't have to be. <laughs> yeah, the Spirit of God's going to do it. The Spirit of God's going to do it. This is a well. This is a well. You believe it? You know, I, I, we come in here one night with the flood indices and prayed in this place, and I saw like the, there was this flood of water going out that door into the into Hardy Street, and there's another flood going out that door into the car park, and it was just solid, just like this flow of water. And the, and the Lord showed me afterwards that it's, this place is a well into the CBD. You're here strategically. This place is in the center of the CBD for a strategic reason, so that the well of living water can flow out of here into the community, into the CBD, into the, into the accountants and the lawyers and the shopkeepers and, and all of those people out there that are looking for water where there is none, but they can come here to this well. So I'm going to do something freaky right now. You ready for something freaky? You know, God... God has created you to be a speaking spirit. Genesis 1, verse 26, God says, Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, create you in our image after our likeness. Who was God? God was someone that looked at nothing and said, Let there be light. He said, Let there be light, and there was light. He said, Let there be waters, and there was waters. God was a creator. He created in words. God says to you, life and death is in the power of your tongue. He says, speak into this mountain and be removed and it shall go. Whatsoever you say, you shall have. You see, there's power in your mouth. So right now, I'll just get you to stand. Come on, let's get activated. We're going to do something prophetic now. There's also three is significant in the Bible. On the third, third day, Jesus rose. You know, you look through the Bible, three is significant. So what I'm going to get you to do, in the Spirit, in the Spirit, in a minute, is just repeat with me, this is a well. I want you to drag it out of here. This is creation time. All right, we're going to create a well a spiritual well in this place this morning. You with me? Okay. So I'll go, I'll just go one, two, three, and then we say it three times. This is a well. Okay. One, two.
two, three. This is a well. This is a well. This is a well. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. Right. Part two. We're going to do it again. This time we're going to say, break open, oh well. Break open, oh well. You see, in Abraham's day, Abraham dug wells. Right? But then it says, it said, that the Philistines come and filled up the wells so that people couldn't take water. You know, this was a well. There was people who used to come here and just drink of the goodness of God, but over years, you know, there's just stuff. There's been stuff, and it's blocked the well. But you guys, under Alistair, you've been, you've been clearing out that well. You've been clearing out that well. You've been clearing some of that old garbage out. You've been clearing the well so that the waters can flow again. Yeah. So this morning, we're just going to celebrate that. We're just going to say, break open, oh well. Right? On the count of three. One, two, three. Break open, oh well. Break open, oh well. Break open. Oh, well, hallelujah, hallelujah, Woo! Lord, I thank you for this well, Lord, these people, and I just decree and declare over them that out of their innermost being shall flow rivers and streams of living water, that each one is a well of your presence, each one is a carrier of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, and as we step into the fullness, as you birth us into the fullness, Lord, there comes a flow out of this place. There comes a flow. The people walking past in the street are just going to get drawn in. They're going to go, oh, there's water in this place. There's water in this place. I've been thirsting. I've been thirsting for somewhere like this. I've been thirsting. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know where to find it. But it's here. I can sense it. And I'm a coming. I'm a coming. I'm a coming. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I don't often do that. That was good. You may be seated. You believe it? Huh? Yeah, why not? Those that don't know me, I'm John. This is my beautiful wife, Fiona. We have eight children between us. We're on our second marriage. We've been married for 20-something years, 24 years. She's a detailed person. Yeah. 24 years. We have 18 grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. And I'm only 29. Clean out my handbag. So yeah, I was a, I was, uh, I was born in Nelson actually. To a mother. Yeah, I know. And uh, I left here as a, as an 18 year old, as a deckhand on a, on a cray boat to Fiordland, to a big adventure, and, and um, so I fished Fiordland for 25 years and got my own boat and ran my own boat ship and, and. Uh, and all of that, and then I encountered this, this crazy dude called God. No, he didn't exist. So I thought. And uh, yeah, and then Fiona met Fiona at church, and uh, we sort of, yeah, we were doing the youth ministry together, and, and then God set us up one day on the beach at Oranbrookie, and um, oh, it's a long story, I'll probably get it all wrong. But I'll, I'll just cut it short, because Fiona's a detailed person. So basically, I asked, we were sitting, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, the moon, you know, the sea was calm, it was warm, the moon was in the sky, 
you know, it's just one of those, we'd be popping all the blue bottle jellyfish on the beach. And, and we were sitting in the sand dunes, and I was thinking about youth ministry, right? I was being really holy. Because we weren't going out or anything. We were just like doing the youth ministry together. So I was thinking about the youth ministry, and I said to Fiona, have you got any dreams for this year? You know, any, what, what would you, thinking about what should we do this year with the youth? She says, oh, not really. What about you? What do you think we should do? And these words come out of my mouth. Honestly, they just fell out. Like, I think we should get married. And I'm going, oh, oh. And Fiona goes, yeah, that'd be fun. And she's going, where did that come from? Oh, it was a total setup, eh? Oh, it was a total setup. So we had to go and confess to our pastors and all that. But man, I just really want to encourage you guys. Don't look at, don't look at your, your physical capabilities. God is going to really smash something open here. You know, he really is. I'm not just hyping it. I'm not hyping it, and I know else this night either, about next weekend tour at Richmond. It's not a Richmond New Life event. It's a Nelson event. It's going to be a Nelson event. I mean, look what God, I mean, far out. Just, just look what he's doing. You know, I'm a, I'm a hunter, right? You look at, when you, same with fishing. When you're hunting fish, you look for signs. You know, you look for where they're coming to drink or whatever, and, you, and you're looking for patterns, you're looking for sequences, and then you go, right, I know they're going to be at such and such a place at such and such a time. You don't have to be a prophet to be able to work that out. you just got to see what God's doing, know his character, know what he's doing. So for this next weekend, he's got two Maori prophets, and I mean capital P, prophets. Boom. Boom for a start. I know one of them, Hafri, at the moment in his church, they can't even stand. People come in, they're just, just laying out in the deck the presence of God. They stay there for hours. They don't even have to preach or do anything. They just walk in the door. Lorinda, she's just amazing, man. I'll tell you what, you know, she, she just speaks and you just feel this anointing in the, in the presence of God and she just, you know, and she, her testimony, you know, used to, we're used to hearing these testimonies. Her testimony is, I've never known a moment from the womb when I haven't known Jesus. I've never known a moment where I haven't walked with Jesus in my life. She, you know, you've heard of Ratna? It's his granddaughter. There's two of them. The other one, there's, this, there's, there's two other prophets coming, one from Australia, one from the United States. I can't remember which one, but Hannah was telling me that she was walking down the street in her town one day and, and she had this vision of all this water on the pavement, just the, the pavement covered in water. So she just, she just spoke into the water. She just carried on moving. And then behind her, everyone that walked on this place just got drunk in the spirit. And there were just, just people just falling down in the street. And it, they just carried on for days. They're coming all the way to Nelson. I mean, come on, get it. They're coming here all together. And my, my best friend, Best Christian God buddy, Christian Williams is going to be here, you know, and he just carries something for this nation. He's coming. You can, when, God, when you see some of these things that you go far out, who wants to, who wants to miss that? You know, or who wants to miss it? I said to Richmond there the other week, I said, I said, man, imagine this. Imagine, you know, the upper room. In the book of Acts, and suddenly there comes a sound from heaven, like the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and, and these tongues resembling fire that separated and settled on each one of them. There was 120 in the upper room. You know, when they started that, there was estimated to be about 500. When they started waiting, when Jesus says, wait here until that which is promised to the Father has come upon you, there was about 500. When it actually came, there were 120. So there was 380 that said, oh, I can't be stuffed going today. I've got other things to do. You know, I've got the cows to milk. I've got the donkey to clean. I don't know what that, you know, but they, 
they went and did other things and they missed that moment. They missed that moment that changed human history and suddenly, there's going to be a suddenly, I was, I was talking to Alistair and, and he feels it too, there's going to be a suddenly next weekend. You know, we, we just listened to this woman before we come in here and, and they've just arrived from China and they said, they had to come to Nelson because they know, and she just basically spoke out that this Nelson is going to be a place where, where the Spirit of God is going to move and then it's going to go out through the nation and it's going to go out through the nations. It's going to happen. It's not hype. It's going to happen. And I have a very good sense in my sensor that next weekend, sometime, somewhere, it might be the whole thing or it might be a part of it, there's going to be a suddenly that's going to ignite. So get there. Get there. Get there. Oh, oh man. Imagine, imagine if you're number 123 and you thought, oh, I can't be stuck going to church again. You know, it's just another event. I'm going fishing. And then you heard later, I don't want to be that person. My big cell for today. You know, God is, our God is flipping huge. You know, I was at family camp, the Richmond family camp, we're over at Kiteria, and, and we had some baptisms to do in that, and we're out there, and it was quite a cold, sort of chilly morning, and um, and then the sun come through the trees, and, and I was sitting there in the sun, you know, and getting warm by the sun, and I was going, oh, this is so nice. And then the Lord spoke to me, and he said, yeah, it's nice at this distance. But he says, you get within a million miles of that thing and you get vaporized. I go, whoa. And then he took me into, the, you know, into a vision of the surface of the sun that's just fire. You know, and it's fire. These, these rivers of fire that are just thousands of miles high. And it's just the heat and the energy in that thing. Can you imagine it? I mean, the earth looks like a pea next to the sun. And it's just this ball, this raging Fire. We're 93 million miles away from it, and yet it still burns our skin. And then he said this, he said, never forget that that came out of me. Never forget that that, that ball of fire, that raging fire that we call the sun, that warms us, nice sun, came out of him. But not just that one, you know, there's, there's other suns in the universe that make our sun look like a pea. Came out of our God. And he said this, and he said, and it did not diminish me in one degree. He was able to say, let there be light, and all of that shot out of him, and yet he stayed the same. He didn't, it's not like he went, oh man. You got such a big God. Where'd I put my glasses? Huh? There we go. Right here. Get a big God. Get a big God. Capture the awe of God. You know, I think we've 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 wandered off a bit. And it's been good because God's been rebalancing. He's moved from religion into relationship. And in that process, we've discovered the love of God and the grace of God. And that's been beautiful and awesome and treasure that. That's 99.9% that's of who he is, but then there's this other side of him, the awe of God. The awe of God, the awesome power of our God. That sun-breathing God. Get in touch with him. Because it's a blessing for you to get in touch with it. Look, he turns and he goes and parks up on a mountain and it starts to burn and smoke and shake. And the people were too afraid to even step upon it. When you look at what's happening, like Alistair said, you look in the news, you look at the some of the things that are saying, the things that are coming up. If you if you follow biblical prophecy, there's there's some pretty messy stuff coming up. Man, when you get into that stuff, yeah, it plays to be aware, but when you see it, when you see that fear, that fear starting to arise or anxiety, 
measure it alongside your God that says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not look around you and be dismayed, for I hold your right hand and my rightness and my justice. Measure your fear or your anxiety against the God who breathed sons into existence. Jeremiah 32, 17, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. There is nothing too wonderful or too hard for you. God has a plan. You know that? He has a plan. Right from the fall, God had a plan. Bill Johnson said this this week. He says, God is not trying to do anything. He's just doing it. God is not trying to do anything. He is just doing it. Revelation 3.21, Behold, I make all things new. (laughs) I make all things new. That's where this is going. This process of restoration where he stands there and he says, Behold, I make all things new. God is not trying to do anything. He's just doing it. Behold, I will make all things new. Woo! Daniel, Daniel 7, 27. Look these up in your own time. Daniel 7, verse 27. He says, all of the kingdoms, all of the kingdoms and the dominions, which means government, the authority of government, under the highest heaven, so everything apart from God's heavenly realm, everything under that. You got it? It goes on to say, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Who's that? Exactly. Us. Your rulers. Your children of the king. Start living from that dimension. Start living from that reality. And things change. God's not trying to do anything. He's just doing it. Restoration, this word, means returning to the former owner. I got this out of the dictionary. Returning to the former owner, place, or condition. Returning to the former owner, place, or condition. And nothing is impossible for God. No man out there, in here, wherever, no man is that far away from God that he cannot save them. No one. That God cannot save them and restore them. Man, the species, homo sapiens, you, the original design, is outlined in Genesis 1, 26. It says, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make them in our image after our likeness. That was the original intent. That was the original design for Homo sapiens, the first of who was Adam and Eve. To be a full representation, to be in the image and likeness of God himself. Crazy, eh? Flipping crazy. And he planted them in a garden. They were like seed planted in a garden. But we know the story. They became corrupted seed. See, there's a law also in Genesis that said each seed will reproduce after its own kind. You don't plant carrot seeds and end up with a cabbage, right? Each seed reproduces after its own kind. He planted this perfect seed in a garden, but that seed then became corrupted and then started reproducing after their own kind. Just a simplification of the whole thing. God's plan included Jesus. He came as Jesus, as new seed. Jesus even said, a seed, if it remains, it's but one seed, but if it dies and goes into the ground, if it comes... He was looking upon himself as this seed this of a new humanity 
the new Adam. The Bible calls him the new Adam. The new exact revelation also of the Genesis 1, 26 humanity. He's a, Jesus was a mirror image of a born-again Christian. You want to know what your model is? It's Jesus. You want to know what it looks like if you're living your Christianity to the full? It's Jesus. If you want to know how far you've got to go, then measure yourself against him. Not Alistair, not me. We're still on that journey too. Man, it's Jesus. There's this whole Bible that's been written called the Mirror Bible. Go and read that. It breaks it all out in the, in the Hebrew and the Aramaic and the, and the Greek into exactly what was said that as we look at him, it's like we're looking at ourselves in a mirror. The church has got an identity crisis. Just don't know who we are. Jesus was the new Adam. He was the new exact revelation of the 126 humanity in the mirror image of a born-again Christian. Jesus said, Satan comes but to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have that life in abundance. Adam and Eve, the Genesis 1, people, to behold, it is very good. People, God, when he looked at creation, when he had finished, he said, behold, it is very good. These children had a choice. God said, do not eat of that tree. You can eat everything else, but just that one little tree over there, that one of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that, because if you eat of that, you'll die. Along comes Lucifer. God really say? God really say you cannot eat? Of course you can eat. Go on, you can eat. You, you go and eat of that tree and you'll be just like God. There's the first lie. They already were. He already challenged their identity. You could go and eat of that tree. He's being a holdout. He's holding out on you. It'll be good for you. You go and eat of that tree and you'll be just like God. Paul reveals this law to us of the kingdom that you are a slave of who you obey. You are a slave of who you obey. Satan, God, you pick. But you're going to be a slave of who you obey. Bob Dylan put it this way. No Bob Dylan? You're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Even Bob knew it. Who did they obey? Jesus said this, he says, if you really love me, you will obey me. John 14, 15. If you really love me, you'll obey me. Who did they obey? Each seed reproduces after its own kind. So we need this word, restoration. Returning to the former owner. Place or position. God is on a mission of restoration by a really big God, by a star-breathing God. He's on a mission. He has a design. He has a place. He has a strategy of total, absolute restoration. Even the darkest human soul can be saved. Acts chapter 9 is an account of a Jesus hater. He hated Jesus. I mean, ugh, hated, like manifested. 
a Christian hater. A steal, kill and destroy Jesus and all who follow him guy called Saul. Saul was a chief Pharisee. Pharisees were religious Jews who dedicated their lives to perfectly living not just the Ten Commandments, but the 10,000 rules that they made up that define how you do the Ten Commandments. So they dedicated their lives to fully living all of that, perfectly. Crazy. That's what a Pharisee did. Paul describes himself in Oh, you can put her up on the board there. I'll read it off there. Oh, I'll read it off here. Here he is, he's describing himself. Circumcised when I was eight days old, of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, and the son of Hebrews. As to the observance of the law, I was of the party of the Pharisees. As to my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And by the law's standards of righteousness, supposed justice, uprightness, and right standing with God, I was proven to be blameless. That is a big call, man. I was proven to be blameless, and no fault was ever found He was a religious zealot, his zeal for the law, his zeal for being so-called right with God was out, out of this world. Paul, this guy, Saul, oversaw the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was this beautiful, spirit-filled man who just loved everyone, was doing miracles around the place and just preaching Jesus. Saul oversaw his murder, stoning to death. So in Acts 9, this dude Saul is going to Damascus to persecute some more Christians. He's on a mission. He's going to do some more killing and stealing and destroying. Meanwhile, Saul, still drawing his breath hard from threatening and murderous desire against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and requested of him letters to the, to the synagogues at Damascus, authorizing him, so that if he found any man or woman belonging to the way of life as determined by faith in Jesus Christ, that he might bring them bound with Chains to Jerusalem. You feel the heart of this guy. You feel that hatred. You feel that zeal, like this absolute passion to destroy any remnant, any hint of Jesus. I'm not sure what happened in his doctrine to thou shalt not kill. Really. How repulsive do you think this guy would be to God? His only begotten son recently crucified. Jesus' disciples at this point carrying on his son's mission. And this Saul consumed by Satan, killing, stealing, and destroying these new children of God. Remember, very big God. Very big turn up on a mountain and it smokes God. 
made the heavens and the earth by your great power, God. This tiny, teeny, puny little human being, this delicate little thing, whose life is but a whisper of vapor, this little saw killing God's children. Verse 3. Find it in here. Now, as he travelled on, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly, whoo, there's that word again. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. Then he heard a voice saying to him, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, harassing, troubling, and uh, and molesting me?" And Saul said. Lord, and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is dangerous, and it will turn out badly for you to keep kicking against the goad, to offer ruinous and perilous resistance. Trembling and astonished, he asked, Lord, what do I, what do you desire me to do? The Lord said to him, but arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were accompanying him were unable to speak. God. For terror, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, but though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. God. The rest of Acts 9 read it in your own time, but it records Saul being healed by Ananias, being with the disciples, being discipled. Good point for you as all these people start pouring in the doors. Being discipled himself and then beginning his own Christian ministry. See, the Father's heart is to restore. The journey of transformation Restoring back to him. Restoring back to the original owner, God. Restoring back to your position, son. Son of God. Restoring back to your place, your position, which is kaitiaki, or guardians of creation. That is your position. Saul became the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. Acts 9 tells us that there's no limit to God's grace. There's no limit to God's grace and mercy. Acts 9 tells us that all, all can be saved. No matter what part that you have had in steal, kill, and destroy, God's power and love can restore you to the Genesis 1 model. The Son of God model. See, Satan has slaves. Remember what Paul said? Who you obey, you become a slave of. Satan has slaves. Jesus does not have slaves. Big difference. He says, I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. No longer call you slaves. You see, whoever you obey is a slave. And he says, not my camp. Not my camp. I call you my friend. Big God. The original design of man in our image, after our likeness, Man chose another master. Steal, kill, and destroy, dude. Jesus crucified was God's plan to begin this process of restoration of everything that had been stolen, of all that had been lost. Jesus came and paid the slave price. 
really understand that. I go to Pakistan, I go to India, and there's poor people there, especially the Christians of Pakistan. And um, so they might be working for a Muslim businessman or whatever, and they'll get the, they'll, they'll, they just get enough money to pay for their food for the day, basically. But then one of them might get sick. A family member might get sick. Might have to go to hospital. They come out with this huge bill. The landlord says, I'll pay that. You can pay me back. Right? And so so they, they, they pay the bill. So that person then, or that family then owns, owes the landlord this huge sum of money that they can never repay. So they got them. They become slaves for life. Because they can never repay the account because all they get paid is enough for their food for the day. He puts them up in a house, which is just like a hut. You know, dirt floors, the whole works. And they work their guts out just to get enough to buy some food for the family for that night. You see, that's hopeless. They're stuck in this hopeless situation. But you see, if I come along or Alistair comes along, and you go to that landlord and say, hey, man, I really feel for this family. You know, that, and, and I'd, I'd like to give them a different future, and like, I'd, can I buy them from you? And he'd say, oh, yeah, it'll cost you 40 grand. You go, okay, here's your 40 grand. Then those, that family becomes yours. You do whatever you like, because they're now bound to you. That's the slave price. You paid the slave price. You bought that family. See, Jesus paid the slave price for you and me. He come up to Satan and says, "What do you, what do you, what, what could I pay you to give me my family? What could I pay you? Oh, you can pay me yourself." He never thought he was going to come through with it. He never thought Jesus would go through with it. He thought there's nothing higher. I'll get God to pay for this, for this, for this humanity with Himself. And He says, "Pay." that bit in, in the Passion, the movie The Passion, where Jesus dies on the cross and Satan goes, ah! I love that bit because he never expected it to happen. He always expected Jesus to get down off the cross. He paid that slave price for us and then he did this. He said, now you're free. Now you're free. If you go to Pakistan, you buy one of those families, you buy them out from the slave master, and then you go, now you're free. You can go and live your own life. It's so awesome. That's what he did for us, eh? You are free. You are free, but I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends. He calls us into our destiny song. Our destiny song. Beautiful, Fiona loves sharing this. There's this beautiful picture, and there's this tribe in Africa, and, and when, a, when a baby's born, they get the baby, and, the, and the, the woman in the tribe, and the tribe will gather around this baby, and they, and they develop this basically a prophetic song over this baby about the baby's future, who the baby is, who they belong to, what they're going to do, you know, the, and they create this song, and they call it the destiny song about this baby. And later on, when the baby grows up, and as we all do, and we, we all start doing dumb stuff, instead of punishing that baby, instead of punishing that young man or, or whatever, they get him again, they put him in the middle of the tribe, and they sing his destiny song over him again. They reestablish his identity, and they sing that destiny song over the, over the young man or the young woman and remind them of who they're called to be. You know, Jesus is doing that with each one of us. He's singing our destiny song over us. Each time we slip up, or each time, he's not going to get out a big stick and bash you. He just re-sings your destiny. This is not who you are. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're the full representation of me. Acts 9 says that whatever you have done is irrelevant. 
Whatever you have done is irrelevant. When compared to God's grace, his mercy, and his power. Acts 9 says no depth of darkness is too far from God that he cannot save. We love it. We went with, with a team and we went to the top of Takaka Hill and, and then we went down to Canaan where all the, they do all this, all this new age stuff and it's just crazy. And, um, and we got there and, and just, just God's grace. We didn't do, there was plenty of demons there to do battle with. We, we weren't there for that. You know, and, and we, just, we just prayed for, the, for those caught in the occult and we just blessed them. We called them into the kingdom. You know, they're following a false god. They're following, they're following, they're drinking from water that can't satisfy. We just blessed them. Acts 9 says, no depth of darkness is too far from God that he cannot save. He's a big God. He's Al Shaddai. He's God Almighty. And God's desire is that not one will be lost. Not one. Not one of them out there. You want to get on his case? Not one. The whole of Nelson. Not just a few on a Sunday morning. The whole region. Everyone. The Bible says that no man can look upon God's face and lives. Acts 9 says no man can look upon Jesus' face and live. Saul died in that moment. He was born again as Paul. You can't look in the face of Jesus and not be changed. You can't look at God and that old man die and something new be born. You can't have an encounter with God. I challenge you, you cannot have an encounter with God and stay the same. <laughs> yeah. No man can look upon God's face and live. Encountering Jesus changes everything. Saul became Paul. John, me, the unbelieving Christian mocking fisherman before you now. Encountering Jesus changes everything. Acts 9 says that we radically change after an encounter with Jesus. And I can confirm that. Go after it. Go after it. He takes you from glory to ever-increasing glory. There's no end of this adventure. There's no end. It's like, you know, it's like the mirage in the desert. You think, oh, if I, if I only get on the worship team, then I will have arrived. And then you get on the worship team... And there's this whole new horizon opens up in front of you and he's saying, go for that. It's like this amazing adventure. An adventure is a journey with an unknown destiny. So you just go on this adventure with Jesus and go, man, and it just goes from glory to ever-increasing glory. There's a new horizon. Every time you think you've arrived somewhere, he gives you a new challenge. It's so much fun. Go after him. Yadah him. Yadah is Hebrew for intimate, experiential knowledge. Intimate, experiential knowledge. Not just reading a book and memorizing a whole lot of stuff. When you encounter him, something gets burnt in here. Something is burnt in there that you cannot forget. You can never, like it doesn't fade, it doesn't go away, it just stays there. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians 3. Remember he was saying, he was saying, Oh, I was a Pharisee, and, and, and as far as the law was concerned, I was faultless. No one could find any fault. No one could ever see or say that I'd done anything wrong because I never did. I was living this perfect religious life. And then he says, in the next verse, he says, but I count it all as, I won't use the real agricultural term, but the term is dung. He says, I count it all as dung compared to the priceless privilege, the wonderful Oh, experience of him, of the knowledge of him, the yada of him, that intimate experiential knowledge of encounter. Whoa, that time on the road, man, when he's the wow, that burnt something in me that changed me forever. And it's so good. 
It's so good. Where are you on your life's road? Have you met Jesus? Really? Have you met Jesus? Are you a slave or free? No half measures. There are no half measures because you're a slave of who you obey. Acts 9 says there's no barriers between you and Jesus. Acts 9 says there's no barriers between you and Jesus. Compare your life to Saul, the Christian hater, the killer, the murderer. Didn't keep him from the Lord. He didn't have to come up for an altar call. He didn't have to go and worship Jesus for 20 days. He was on the road to Damascus to go and destroy some more. His heart full of hatred, full of killing and murdering and stealing and destroying. And the Lord met him there in his sin, in his brokenness, in his depravity. He met him. No barrier between you and Jesus. He's a big God. Same with me. I was consumed with ignorance and all sorts of rubbish. But God met me. I didn't invite him in. He just turned up. We're out hunting rabbits out in the paddock. God turns up. Oh, oh my goodness. I should have got such a slapping. I should have got a big lightning bolt up my jacksie. I, I would totally deserve that. What did I get? I just got waves of love. Waves of love just crashing on me. I got into this state of ecstasy. I've never done drugs, apart from alcohol. Well, I don't do any more. But I've heard about it from the boats. And it was like that. I was just tripping for hours in this love. This love, this drenching of this love. I hadn't done an altar call. I hadn't been to church. I didn't sing three fast songs, three slow songs. I was arguing with my friend that God didn't exist, and he chose that exact time to turn up. <laughs> yeah. There is no barrier on God's side. The barrier is on our side. You know what that barrier is called? Shame. Shame. Same thing that made Adam and Eve hide from him in the garden. See, we carry memories. We carry labels that others have put on us. We carry memories and we think, oh, God could never love me because I've done this and, and I've done that. Even since, I, since I, I gave him my life and said, I'll serve you, Lord, for the rest of my life, I'm like Peter. And the next day I was out there doing this stuff and, man, and I hurt these people and I did all this stuff. And, oh, surely God can't use me. Now, surely, you know, I'm just stuck in this place where, where I, I just, oh, I so regret that stuff that I did. I so regret those things that I did. And, and that stuff, that, that puts a barrier up between you and God. It puts a barrier up. That barrier is called shame. And it holds you captive. It holds you from God. Don't. Let shame hold you from God. Hold it, that thing that you did, whatever that is. Put it in, in, in respect of Saul in that moment. You want to measure? Measure it against him. It did not stop an encounter with Jesus. That thing that you says is disqualifying you, that is holding you back, that is holding you captive is a phantom. It's not real. It's a phantom of your own imagination. It's not God. God is saying, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. He doesn't qualify that. You see, shame makes us draw back. Shame makes us, tricks us into believing that we're not good enough. Tricks us into believing that somehow we're defiled. And God can't touch any defiled thing. I'm a sinner. God can't 
tolerate sin. He can't be with sin. Well, he better rewrite his book then. He better rewrite his book about David, the murderer. He better rewrite his book about Moses, the murderer. He better rewrite his book about Elijah with a dirty mouth. He better start rewriting his book because his book is full of people that were broken down and, and messed up and really, really stuffing up and he turned up in their lives and brought restoration. He brought healing. He brought vision. He brought purpose. And he unleashed them from the things that bound them. You are a new Adam. Jesus was the firstborn of many sons. Hello? Let the Bible define who you are, not your own mind and not anyone else's. You are the new Adam. Jesus was the firstborn of many sons. Romans chapter 9, it says that all of creation is groaning. Think about this. That's everything. That's the universe. That's all the ecosystems on the earth. It's the climate. It's everything. It says that all of creation is groaning, waiting, an eager expectation for the manifestation of the sons of God. All of creation, this mess that's going on out, is waiting for you to get it, to get in your true identity, to step into the fullness of what God has given you and start administering it. You believe me? Well, let's start doing it, eh? Let's start doing it. So this morning, I think you've heard enough of me. I think you've got the plan. But man, if there's anyone here that's struggling with shame, if there's anyone here that thinks, yeah, well, this is all good, but God can't use me. Surely God can't use me. God wouldn't want to come and give me a hug because I'm dirty. God wouldn't want to come and, and have intimacy with me because I've done this stuff. I've done this stuff, and it's disqualified me. Yeah, Alistair, he's the pastor, and he's doing all this awesome stuff, and, but, oh, man, I, I've, I've stepped in some dirt. I, I told Jesus I'd never do it again, but, but the next opportunity I got it, I, I, I did it again and again and again. And he's, he's just not happy with me. I tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie. You're believing a lie. God loves you. He's a great, big, sun-breathing God, and his grace and his power is more than able to restore you the Jesus model to restore you to full sonship you've got to stop believing a lie you've got to stop embracing shame and regrets of things that have happened things that are gone just look at it measure it against Saul a murderer a hater persecutor just so passionately zealous about exterminating any memory of Jesus yet God met him on the road to Damascus and he said about his healing said about his restoration said him with the disciples and changed his name set him out as a, one of the mightiest apostles that have ever walked the earth. Paul. There's no limit to God's restoration. There's no limit to his capacity to restore. So this morning I, I just speak healing for the imaginations of those who have accepted the lie that 
God cannot forgive some sin. The God is focused at the sin and not at the promise. So right now, in Jesus' name, I'll just free you from shame. I free you from shame. Shame, you have no place in this well. Shame, you have no place in this well. You have no place in my brother's and my sister's imagination. Memory, yeah, it's still there, but I cancel its power. I cancel its power and I give you a new memory that you are created in the image and the likeness of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that live inside of you, that God will restore you to full sonship as you walk with him. So I thank you that your forgiveness was total. It was total. Your freedom is real. So the voice of Jesus speaks over you right now and says, I no longer call you a slave. You are no longer a slave to sin. No longer a slave to those memories. I call you a friend. I call you a friend. Will you walk with me? Will you be with me? Will you come to me? Wholehearted. Shake off that shame. Shake off that regret. Shake off. Shake off. Shake off those labels that you've put upon yourself. Shake off those labels that others have put on you. And I put upon you now the label. Son, Son of the Most High God. Friend of Jesus. Full of power. Full of love. Full of might. Full of destiny. Lord, just... I just declare a new day, Lord, that you give each one of us new capacity to, to yeah, to just embrace the truth. Knowing the truth that sets us free. Lord, may we embrace the truth. May we hear your destiny song being sung over us. Lord, that you are dancing with ecstatic joy over each one of us. Rejoicing over us. Smiling over us. Lord, there's nothing that's too hard for you. There's nothing that's too hard for you. There's no sin that can outweigh your forgiveness, and grace, and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for total freedom. In Jesus' name. Lord, maybe they just burst now a new fire within us, Lord, for those other lost children that are out there. Lord, for those ones that are out there that don't know you. Lord, those ones that are out there, Lord, seeking for water where there is none. And Lord, may you make us, Lord, all apostles of your grace. Lord, all evangelists, Lord, of your grace. Lord, all pastors of those new ones that come and those souls that come into the kingdom. Lord, may we all be teachers of the truth. 